Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable and a uh, happy Yom Kippur to those who have been celebrating. Did I say that right? Do you wish people a happy Yom Kippur, Lisa Katz? Uh, that, that's okay. That works fine. Yes, Matt. And it, it was technically yesterday, uh, but yes, it's, right. it's definitely fine. <laughs> we'll record it a day later. Yes, sorry. Um, very good. Well, Lisa, welcome again to the Roundtable and uh, another round of fun stories to discuss. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Matt. Good to be here. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in, and uh, I will uh, I will let you start this time. Actually, why don't you go okay. first? Okay, that sounds good. So I, I normally have my articles in printed form, but I uh, I have them electronically today because uh, I have a different background for those who actually look at the podcast uh, uh, over I guess LinkedIn or not the podcast the uh, roundtable uh, over uh, LinkedIn. So uh, I'm in Montreal today, but anyways. Uh, so this one is called Town of Banff Powers Up New Biomass District Heating uh, Solar Project. So apparently, uh, oh, and sorry, this was published on September the 7th, and it's by the Bow Valley, Craig and Canyon. I haven't heard of them before, but I found it electronically today. Um, so basically, the Town of Banff, they've installed a solar uh, PV project that's now providing electricity to the Energy Center building which provides heat to four municipal buildings using a biomass district heating system. Um, so apparently the completion of the solar array allows the energy center to operate using renewable sources, bringing them one step closer to their municipal goal of 100% renewable energy by 2050. And um, the solar size here, unfortunately they don't give you the size of the biomass system, but it's a 12 kilowatt 30 panel solar PV system. And they're using uh, wood waste to heat water glycol mixture that is pumped through an underground pipe network that heats the new Rome Transit Operations and Training Center, the Fleet Services Building, the Operations Maintenance Shop, and the Waste Transfer Station. Um, so in addition to the whole kind of municipality's plan to transition entirely to renewable energy, the town is also aiming to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 30% by 2030 and 80% by 2050. Um, and in terms of the wood waste itself, they are using yeah, wood waste from a variety of feedstocks like construction waste and shipping pallets that currently go to landfill. So I give this article a thumbs up because I think, first of all, they're already, you know, they've already explored two technologies that start to kind of get them to their renewable goals, which I think is great. We've talked a lot about that before. You know, a lot of people have goals out there, but haven't really made any movement or under, or don't really understand what direction they want to, you know, go in from a technology perspective. So I like that. Uh, and I really just like the biomass piece. Um, you know, I think we need to see more good news stories about biomass and see, uh, and this I think is a great story to show that the landfill, uh, that this biomass waste would have otherwise gone to the landfill. So by diverting that and uh, and using that in a biomass boiler, um, you know, they can achieve some environmental benefits. So I think can that's you, great. Can you read the headline again? Yes, it is. Town of Banff powers up new biomass district heating solar project. So thumbs up for the project, thumbs down for the headline. The headline is extremely conf I remember seeing it, this it headline a little while ago. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, are you solar? Is it solar thermal? Is it solar PV? Is it like it's uh, – and I like what they're doing. Like, the, So, you know, the lesson here is that even a biomass boiler has uh, some auxiliary 
power requirements, right? There's going to be pumps, there's going to be blowers, there's going to be material handling. All of that requires electricity. So what they're doing is they're saying, okay, if that's a small portion, let's use renewable electricity to power that. So I love the project, love the approach. Not a big fan of uh, the headline, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it did it did clearly grab our attention. So uh, kudos to them, and and another yet another good excuse of why to go to Banff um, to see That's this right. uh, combined solar PV and biomass project. Uh, so moving from the west of where we are recording, uh, moving east, uh, east actually across the pond, as we often call it, across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, to a Scottish engineering company called Orbital Marine Power. Uh, they're the, the company in question. The, the headline from CNBC, actually, of all places, just uh, earlier this week, firm behind the world's most powerful tidal turbine to head up a new $31 million energy project. So the story is about how this Orbital Marine Power company is um, going to get a pretty significant 26.7 million euro, 31.5 million dollar grant from Forward 2030, uh, which is a um, kind of in turn is a grant from the EU, uh, their Horizon 2020 program. And so, even though the UK and their famous Brexit has left the EU as of uh, January this year, uh, they're still able to um, access some funds. So, essentially, what this is is Orbital is trying to bring to market a a floating tidal energy um, technology, and and they want to layer on top of it wind and battery and green. I mean, maybe that's just words thrown in to kind of get people excited. But what excites me about this, and I've maybe said it before, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, you know, I'd be in hydroelectric. I know it's a more of a flat curve uh, and not as much of a growing industry, but I just kind of grew up around it and I've always loved the power generation kind of dovetailing with natural uh, creation and natural kind of, you know, the, the habitat that we live in. So, so tidal power as, as the tides kind of come in and the tides go out and the massive power that's associated with that being able to harvest it. And so this technology company is, is trying to do uh, just that. So, you know, we'll have to watch closely. The key is always, you know, the technology works. It's at a certain readiness level. Uh, the, the article doesn't quite say, but uh, can we go from that to uh, commercial scale? Only time will tell, but uh, nonetheless, uh, positive when money is going towards projects like this, right? Absolutely. And I'm going to give this one a double thumbs up because I actually covered the story in Energy News this week. Not that it no has come way. out. It's coming out on Monday, but I did cover the story oh, no. in Energy News. No, that's good. It's good. Stealing I mean, your hey, thunder. This, this, this no, is no, no. Who's no, the producer no, no. on this show? <laughs> no, this is good. Um, so, no, I, I actually, that captured my attention as well, which is part of the reason I wanted to share it uh, on Energy News. So, uh, cool. for our listeners, that's coming out on uh, on Monday. Stay tuned. I love it. <laughs> All right. So my second article is uh, called SRP approves uh, Arizona expansion with 16 gas fired turbines. When, uh, I saw, when I saw you send through your articles this morning, I I, I chuckled a little bit because I said, I'm sure I saw this. I saw this story earlier in the week and uh, I thought, I'm sure this is going to catch Lisa's attention. So go yeah, ahead. yeah, no, it's it's it, it, it did catch my attention because I was thinking, wow, like, really, this is amazing. First of all, in terms of a megawatt capacity that they plan to install. But so just just for those of you that might be interested in reading the whole article, because obviously we just kind of summarize it here. It's from Power Magazine. September 14th was its release date. 
And basically, the board of directors of Arizona's second largest public utility approved a $1 billion plan to expand the natural gas-fired Coolidge generating station, which is adding 820 megawatts of generation capacity. So when I first saw this, I thought, wow, because you don't really hear of this too much anymore, right? You hear battery storage, you hear solar, you hear wind. And, you know, it's like, and, and, but you just don't hear too much about, you know, a fossil fueled asset maybe going in. And so it seems like they've actually received a little bit of flack. But before I kind of go into that detail, the station currently is, I guess, uh, 575 megawatts uh, with uh, 12 single uh, cycle gas turbines. And apparently the plant began operating in 2011. And so the expansion itself was just recently approved. It was uh, September the 16th, uh, sorry, 13th. And that would add 16 fired gas uh, fire turbines to the site. Um, And so, yeah, they've sort of received a little bit of flack from some people just because, you know, this apparently is a lot more cost effective than building a carbon-free power generation, uh, generation under scenarios that included low gas prices, of course. Um, the project itself is expected to spend 830 million, uh, although they have reserved up to 953 million. And I think what kind of really caught my attention here, and I'll kind of flip back so I can actually see you now, because I'm only using one screen. Um, but what caught my attention is the fact that the article really points out the resiliency piece and the fact that the sun isn't shining all the time, the wind isn't blowing all the time. And so although this is a carbon piece, they still plan to put more solar in, plan to put more battery energy storage in. But this is something that's going to provide the resiliency to the area. And that's something that we've talked a lot about on this show. And um you know, making sure that uh, that clients are adequately adequately supported by their you know electric utilities, and I think this is a kind of a good example of that. Um, so, anyways, I I mean I I think I kind of give it a thumbs up overall because I again it provides the resiliency piece, and moving forward I think there's going to be plenty of ways that they can decarbonize those assets as well. Um, so. I give it a thumbs up for those reasons. I, I give two thumbs up to the GE salesperson who uh, secured. Yeah, they're LM six thousands. That's right. Secured sixteen machines instead of one big, you know, frame machine. I, I yeah. when I saw that, I I thought oh, weird that they. I guess there's probably some load following and some. There's probably some technical reasons why it makes sense to do that. Um, you know what? What I thought of when I first thought, saw this article is we're living in a world of increased polarization, right? If you look at vaccinations, if you look at mask mandates, if you look at um, you know even our federal election here that's coming up on Monday, don't forget to vote. Um, and um, is 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 power going to be something that is you know polarizing? And what I mean by that is you know green power. I think it's mostly you know kind of pan political like it's not political but you know renewables are you know traditionally they were a thing of the left and Arizona's a right wing state is mm-hmm. this kind of a polarization i don't think so i'm probably reading too much into it uh, but it was you know you would not see this happening in california or you know the northeast right like this yep, is you're very this right is yeah. contextual. so um but anytime you can take a look at a site and it's that big and there's that many turbines uh, that's you know it's going to be a long time before we don't get excited about those kind of projects right yeah absolutely so, <laughs> my last article is from uh, a, a website called clean technica i think it's uh focused on clean tech and it is kind of focused more broadly more of a, a global view but the, the, art, the article headline here is 
mining and steel company ArcelorMittal uh, plans a $9 billion, with a B, uh, dollar renewable energy investment in India. And so um, ArcelorMittal, for those who aren't familiar, is basically one of the largest mining and steel companies uh, in the world. And uh, they've really rolled out some pretty significant plans to invest in in renewable energy. And, um, you know, it's part of the investment portfolio, as an example, is a 4.5 gigawatt solar park in uh, in one of the uh, areas where they're located. So uh, for those who are playing along at home, that's 4,500 um, megawatts of solar. Um, and they go on to talk about some other uh, incentives and programs they're doing. Um, but I mean, to me, it's just the sheer magnitude of this dollar value that is just baffling to me that, and, and it strikes me, you know, you hear a lot of these big companies talking about, you know, signing bilateral agreements or, you know, Budweiser is, you know, all renewable energy while well, that's through, you know, PPAs, you know, um, this appears to be, and again, it could be just the way the headline is shaped, but this appears to be Arcelor investing directly, uh, in these projects, wow. the way the way they got, you know, and I'm sure there's some government support, but I think, you know, places like India and those emerging uh, countries, you know, are are not as clean as a as a utility makeup. And so this is, you know, industry showing some significant leadership moving things forward. So, again, it's a little, you know, a little light on details, but, um, you know, a lot of money going into renewable energy and some hydrogen and things of that nature. So big, uh, big thumbs up for me. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I, I think it's great that they're investing in, in it themselves as well, Matt, if, if that is indeed what they're doing. Yeah. You know, we know that there's so many companies now that are stepping away from kind of their interest in, in investing in energy uh, or to try to reduce their own environmental uh, footprint or you know, their energy costs. And OK, COVID might have had a bit of a play in that because people had to reinvest their own cash in different ways uh, to support the, you know, either the growth or, or just sustain their organization. Um, but when you see people are that seriously invest in they're putting their own cash where their mouth is i think there's something about that so uh, i yeah. give it a thumbs up it's it's a big deal so all right well those were our articles for the week at the round table and we will finish as always with our face off and we will invite our good friend mark charbonneau mark welcome to the show hello hello mark how are we doing so far mark i'm well today you guys no, no, no. Sure. How are we? we oh. How are we? That was the question. You're, <laughs> you're always, you're always good. We know how you are. How, how have we been doing in the first part of this show? Oh, so far so good. And okay. it's funny. One of, the, one of the articles that you brought up, Lisa, that you're discussing in Energy News, I was also going to be using. Oh, um, as one of my stories. It was the, uh, the title. The title uh, yeah, the big one there, the Scottish uh, company. Um, wow. So that seems to be a popular story right now. Cool. It's, um, it's either it's either a really good story or it's getting really good press. Uh, one, yeah. of, hopefully both. So, <laughs> yep. what's our face? What's our face off for today, Mark? Um, well, voting uh, the the um, is right around the corner for us, anyways. I think it's the twentieth, right? A couple of days away. Some people have already done some early voting, I believe. I have. Um, so, oh, have you? Vote early, vote often, right? That's what the Americans would say. Yeah. Yep. Well, for um, so I figured we would take take on this similar topic and compulsory voting. 
Uh, some countries, um, you know, they that's it's mandatory to cast your vote within a few exceptions. And um, so I figured we could discuss that topic if, um, you know, the pros and cons, if we had that here in Ontario specifically, uh, compulsory voting. So, um, sorry, where, where is it compulsory before we start? Well, I got a couple examples, actually. Glad Please. you asked. Um, so in Ecuador, um, it is compulsory to vote. And the oh. penalty for not voting is um, a fine and or deprivation of civil rights. So I know that's very vague. Um, and I tried to look up some more information on that, but I couldn't seem to find anything quickly when I was doing that. So Australia, <clears throat> if you don't vote, you get a fine of $20. Oh. Argent Argentina, it's a fine, um, and you're not entitled to hold public office for three years. Um, and that, I mean, there there are exceptions. If you're over 70, you're exempt, and if you have, you know, some sort of health reason, health issues, that type of thing. Um, and then the last one I have here is Cyprus. It can be imprisonment, imprisonment up to one month, or a fine of $75, or both. Or both. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder so, how they decide the or part. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> you get know. Get imprisoned or not. So if you're in Cyprus, please, please vote. Please vote, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so compulsory voting um, in Ontario, pros and cons if that were the case here in Ontario. And I will let Lisa call um, heads well, or you, tails. You know what I normally call it's heads. I feel like okay. I, I always call heads and Matt always calls tails. <laughs> okay. It is actually heads today. Oh. It's heads? Ooh, yep. Okay. Uh, so I'll I'll cover the cons, um, okay. and and I'll start off with kind of my personal opinion on this. So I, in my opinion, people who you know show up to vote are typically people who are just well informed in general about politics. They're passionate about a leader and the changes that a leader can make. Um, and then people who don't show up are typically people who don't care as much about politics or don't think that they can make a change. Their vote won't really count, okay? And um, and I think some people just think that that they've all been dealt kind of a bad hand, like all of these politicians, and they all have messes to clean up, and they're not going to be able to make any changes. So what's the point? So, anyways, I think like the con piece is, I think if you're forcing people to vote, what it does is it violates the freedom of choice, first of all. And so I think that's a bit of an infringement on people's rights. Um, but I think the bigger issue is. Um, if you don't want to vote and you're just selecting a candidate to vote just for the sake of it, you're going to really skew everything potentially. Like, you know, I'm voting for somebody because I really believe they're going to make a change and I believe in the things that they stand for. And, you know, if Matt's doing the same and let's just say we're on, you know, completely opposing sides in terms of who we actually want to vote for and somebody like you may, maybe Mark, you know, I'm just using you as an example since you're part of the show, you, you don't, you don't really care about voting, but you're forced to vote. You might put a tick between that, you know, against that list liberal or the conservative or the NDP side. And all of a sudden that's counting towards a leader that might get selected because you didn't really care and so many other people didn't. So to me, that's a big problem. Um, and you actually raised the point already and it was on my preparation list here already. Um, I think it increases law enforcement costs. And since people don't, you know, like they, if they don't, obviously they're committing a crime. So in Australia, you know, it's 20. What did you say? It was 20 bucks or something like that. $20. $20 yes. Right. So or or or, you know, the $75 or imprisonment. Right. For the <laughs> I, I, I just I just think that that's just so so absurd. You're now increasing law enforcement costs. It, it just doesn't make any sense. How are you tracking that? How are you following it? It just seems like a complete waste of time. If you're if you know, I, I think. But having said that, I obviously encourage people to vote. I encourage people to get involved. 
to really understand what their political parties and leaders are standing for and to feel that their vote does count and will make a change. And that is all. Okay. Well, you, uh, you did make some compelling points, uh, Lisa. I will, I will grant you that. Um, so I'm on the pro side. Is that right? I'm, I am pro compulsory voting. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I am pro compulsory voting and everybody in this world who lives uh, not in a democracy is probably also uh, pro. Um, you know, the, the ability to live in a democracy is um, it's just a beautiful thing. And it's something that many people have fought for. Um, and, you know, many people have given their lives for. And um, I think we're letting that go to waste. And so forcing people to do it, I think, will um, you know, help them see how important it is and how help them see, you know, how, how much of a gift it is. Um, little side thing, I think, you know, $20, $75, that's far too little. To Lisa's point, there is an enforcement cost. So let's drive up the penalty, make the uh, make it make it a net uh, a net profit for the government. And that can fund some of the uh, the debt that these politicians run up. Um, but I think I think forcing people to vote allows you're right, there is going to be some uh, some funny votes, and there's going to be some people who are on the fence. And I think it elevates the requirement of the leaders to be clear and articulate about uh, their choices. I, I think, you know, we have unfortunately digressed to a point where voter turnout is so bad that people are just, they're all entrenched, and they're all going to stick to what they're going to do. And so the politicians degrade into fighting each other because they're really not moving the needle. There are very few undecided voters. The undecided voters are all not voting. And so if we bring that whole pool of entrance, which is like a massive number in, in North American culture, into it, I think it it, it raises the uh, the requirement of, uh, of of leaders to to up their game. Um yeah, I, I think it's I think it's your civic duty. I, I think, you know, it should be something that's compulsory. We should. Uh, it's a beautiful thing and we shouldn't be taking it for granted. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I, you know, I also think that it would it would not really. Well, I guess it would force people to educate themselves mm. um, about the different policy for each candidate as well. And then actually make a choice based on a proper informed decision. You know, I, I actually did put that on my pro list. Uh, I think the education piece is actually probably the big part, right? And yeah. and I think it does make the election maybe a little more serious for people if they really have to vote. Hopefully, they are going to take more of an interest. And you know, uh, you know, I think, I think it also it's... it builds in more accountability, right? If you make somebody vote and then they vote for you and then you win, then there's a little bit of hey, I voted for you. You made me do it. Now go do what you said you were going to do, right? Because yeah. I, I think you know and. Uh, those incumbent uh, candidates who shall remain nameless have a bit of a track record for saying something and then not doing it. Um, and so, you know, we need more of that accountability in in uh, in politics. So I think that would help, too. Yep. Well, thank, thank you both for contributing to the pro side of the argument. <laughs> well, I think there's I'm a reason to argue both. <laughs> yeah, I I think there is a reason that there's only like a select few countries that make it uh, compulsory, so to speak. So obviously I would have to go with the con side, but um, it would be nice if there was a happy medium or some sort of incentive to, uh, you know, get people out to vote, you know, not just saying go and vote. But to I think by I think by definition, taking off the pro hat, I think you're right, Mark. I think by definition, giving people the choice not to vote is democracy, right? Like, of course, you, you know, <clears throat> my, my views of how people are taking it for granted and being ungrateful are my views. But 
Precise. You can't you can't force somebody into doing something democratic. That's oxymoronic. Uh, yeah, agreed. Very good. Well, um, by the time our next uh, episode airs, uh, we will have a maybe the same government or a new government here in Canada. <laughs> uh, but we will have some new news in the world of energy, and we'll have lots to talk about, I'm sure. Uh, Lisa and Mark, thank you both. Have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy the uh, what should be very nice weather in southern ontario and until we meet again uh, to our listeners thank you very much for joining us and as always welcome your feedback and your comments thank you thanks have a great weekend everyone